In the middle of a buzzing crowd, my four-year-old legs carried me across the dimly lit concourse. The concrete floor felt endless, and my excitement battled with the growing fatigue in my small legs. Up the big steps, one by one, until suddenly I reached the top. The lights hit me, blinding and brilliant. The jumbo screen loomed overhead, echoing the cheers of fans below. Around the rink, people in jerseys filled the seats. An organ played a lively hockey tune, filling the air with anticipation. Down on the ice, players warmed up, sticks cracking against the boards, pucks flying in chaos. In that moment, my tired legs were forgotten, replaced by an adrenaline surge. The sights, the sounds, the energy. I was hooked. Instantly, I became a fan amidst the electrifying hockey arena. What is up? Welcome back to Fondling Cardboard. I'm your host, Mike Lacusta, aka the Golf Card Collector. Well, today we're not going to be talking a bunch about golf cards. I'm going to throw it out there at the beginning so that you golf fans won't be disappointed. But please continue listening because this is not an episode about hockey. This is an episode about fandom, about fandom of a sport, a team, a player, and just in general about collecting cards and doing it in a way so that you will cherish those cards forever and you won't regret the collection that you build. As I've started to reflect on my collecting behavior and tendencies, I'm exploring the concept of collecting lanes. Now, a lane is a type of card that you collect. Now, a lane could be a player that you love. For me, a good example is Steve Nash. I don't collect the Dallas Mavericks or the Phoenix Suns, but I'm a dedicated Steve Nash collector and fan. Another example of a lane would be a type of card. So for instance, I collect the 2021 Upper Deck Artifacts Golf Diamond Relics set, and I've completed the entire set. I'm working on my second copy, and it's just something that I'm passionate about. Another example is the Goodwin Champions Cosmic Parallels. I'm surprised I didn't start off with this next lane, but you can collect a specific sport and collect any players, teams, whatever from that sport. And as the golf card collector, <laughs> that's probably my primary lane, is just hoarding golf cards. Now, whatever your lane is, I think that you'll be able to learn a lot from this episode as I explore my past with the Arizona Coyotes as a hockey franchise that gets very little love around not only the league, but also in its own home arena, where historically there can be just as many, if not more, away team fans as there are fans for the Arizona Coyotes. In fact, I'm going to be revealing five distinct lessons that I have learned from collecting in a lane, which is the Arizona Coyotes team, that nobody else cares about, and how you can use these lessons to make your collecting journey a more fulfilling and rewarding experience. My Arizona Coyotes collection is the only lane of cards that I keep all in a single place. From low-end pennies for a card, all the way up to high-end, hundreds of dollars for a card. 
and currently that's kept as a pile on my desk because it is one of my favorite types of cards to fondle through. It's the lane I am most excited about to dig through in dollar boxes when I visit my local card store or any other hobby stores or at a card show. Uh, None of them are graded, not even the gold prisms, the rookie autos, etc. To me, it's all about the card itself. It's about the appearance of the card because I don't ever plan on selling any of them. I don't want a card that's all banged up, but I don't care if it's a gem mint 10. Speaking of grading, I do actually have a PSA order that I am about to send in. Uh, The January special was modern sports cards for $14.99 per card. And last night, which was the last day of January, I'm recording this on February 1st, um, the website crashed. The last day of January, I'm trying to enter my 40-something card order. And I went to PSA's Instagram page. I just went to their first picture, which had nothing to do with the grading special. Uh, And sure enough, there were other people commenting on PSA's latest post saying, your website's crashed. You better extend this. Uh, I've been saving these cards all month. I've got 100 cards I need to send in. And uh, there there is some animosity. So uh, luckily, PSA did extend it by uh, 24 hours. They said up until midnight Pacific time. And so luckily, I got my order in. And it's a completely mixed bag of cards, basically cards from every sport that I've ever collected. Uh, To be frank, I plan on selling more than half of them because I need to refill my hobby bank account. Speaking of which, shout out to Iowa Dave and his podcast, The Shallow End. This week, I had a great conversation with Dave about impulse buying, opportunity cost of choosing cards to collect, and just generally reflecting on our collecting behavior and what we can learn from it to adjust our habits and improve our hobby experience. That episode should actually be releasing today at the same time as my episode. So go check out The Shallow End wherever you get your podcast. And I'm really excited too, because offline, I confided in Dave about a series that I've wanted to do ever since starting Fondling Cardboard, actually before starting this podcast. A project that I've been hesitant, maybe even afraid to dig into, but he was encouraging and might even be open to collaborating with me on it. So I'm feeling inspired. I won't tell you what it is though, because it's a long way out, Uh, but stay tuned into my Instagram stories uh, and the golf cards and memorabilia Facebook group, because I'll be posting some polls, uh, requesting contributions from some people along the way. Uh, So in case you want to participate or if you want some sneak peeks at what that series I'm referring to is, connect with me at The Golf Card Collector. But back to today's topic, I'll be showing off my passion for the Arizona Coyotes franchise and sharing these five lessons that you can take away to build a card collection that you will keep and cherish forever. Lesson number one is... Okay, I'm not actually going to spoil it that way. I'm just going to start from the beginning. In 1996, little Mike LaCousta was a four-year-old, a young boy of divorce who was trying to muddle his way through life. I was probably riddled with anxiety, uh, being taken away from my mom and going to Phoenix, Arizona with, I believe, my grandfather and my dad and some other family not really having that love and support that a small child would need to get through that kind of an experience. 
And as I said in the opening of this episode, I was feeling this kind of unease as I was walking through this concourse. Our family decided to go to a hockey game. And that hockey game was not actually an Arizona Coyotes or Phoenix Coyotes at the time. It wasn't the Coyotes because uh, the Coyotes were the Winnipeg Jets who moved from Winnipeg down to Arizona in 1996, but at, you know, the fall, and this was in the summer. And so it was actually a Phoenix Roadrunners game that I went to. And at this game, they were um, selling and promoting the Arizona Coyotes with merch and jerseys and little kids hockey sticks and pucks and things like that. And in the opening of this episode, I talked about this moment of reaching the peak of the staircase and just soaking in this entire environment and being blown away by it and there is a little element of that in my memories but in reality the thing that really uh, stayed with me all these years was getting an Arizona Coyotes jersey or sorry Phoenix Coyotes jersey at the time and having that jersey and having that piece of memorabilia to take home with me um, just kind of set the tone for me becoming a fan of them. And it it also made me feel special because I knew that there was this anticipation for the hockey team to arrive. There was excitement. And I felt like I was the very first ever Coyotes fan. So obviously my memory's not great from, you know, a four-year-old's <laughs> experience. Uh, and so I actually wanted to look up on Google and uh, see if I could find the date of this game. But funny enough, I couldn't even find the organization of the Phoenix Roadrunners. And so then I had a panic attack or a moment where I thought, is this all made up? You know, uh, going through some trauma as a young kid was was my mind making up stories and, and uh, this whole franchise of the Phoenix Roadrunners. Uh, but what I found is that there actually were Phoenix Roadrunner teams throughout history in various shapes and sizes. And when I when I found on the Wikipedia page, uh, often when it says Phoenix Roadrunners WHL, the word defunct is used <laughs> after that, along with basically all the rest of the Phoenix Roadrunners teams. There's the Phoenix Roadrunners WHA, defunct ice hockey team, Phoenix Roadrunners CHL, defunct hockey team, only one year. <laughs> uh, Phoenix Roadrunners PHL, defunct ice hockey team, for three years. Anyways, the team that I saw uh, was actually probably the longest running uh, Phoenix Roadrunners variation, which was part of the IHL League, a defunct hockey team in the International Hockey League, 1989 to 1997. So I must have seen one of their last games. So basically, I was the first ever Coyotes fan, and that made me feel special. And speaking more broadly, it was actually my first ever foray into sports. A couple years later, I was so gung-ho about hockey that I convinced a relative of mine to take me to Canadian Tire, and I used all of my money that I had at the time uh, to buy some goalie pads. And before finding out <laughs> that my family's history of actually quite talented hockey players was discouraging me to continue because they had seen too many people get injured on the ice, or at least that's what I remember being told, but in all fairness, I had a single working mom who probably couldn't make it to those 4 a.m. Ice, ti ice times every day of the week. Uh, kudos to you hockey parents. That's a grind. And I just think it, hockey wasn't 
in my own cards. <laughs> Pardon the pun. But I ended up excelling in other sports like basketball and running, so I settled for getting a Coyotes jersey or t-shirt every time I outgrew the last one. I'd go to Vancouver Canucks games whenever they hosted the Coyotes, and I'd be the only person in the stadium uh, with a red Desert Dogs jersey. I'd get booed. I'd love every minute of it as long as I felt safe. So, why am I telling this backstory? What lesson are we going to learn from this? Here it is. Embrace your unique fandom journey. Because nobody can tell you what you like. If you hop on a bandwagon when your local team or whatever team that you feel influenced to cheer for succeeds, you're really just joining the sea of people and riding the wave. Now, maybe that's what you want. Maybe you prefer to always cheer local, and I can't fault you for that. But for me, this Arizona team was in some ways a glue that helped me uh, keep things together. And I'm going to get into that more in the next lesson. All right, I promise I will be getting into some cards uh, in a little bit, and I will have some great lessons to share specifically revolving around the cards themselves. But I need to continue on this story uh, for my second lesson to make sense. So the Coyotes have always been my team through all of their ups and downs and my own personal ups and downs. Way more ups and downs than me or the franchise would have liked. <laughs> uh, my friends, you know, would banter back and forth uh, that I wasn't cheering for a real franchise and that the local hometown heroes, the Vancouver Canucks, were, you know, light years uh, more important and better than the Coyotes. And they were correct in some ways, but for them, not me. When it comes to finding your fandom, look for those players, teams, or sports that you had posters on your wall as a kid. The, the teams and players that you owned jerseys for or the brands that you connected with like uh, Air Jordan for Michael Jordan or Nike for Tiger Woods. The, the things you had a freaking bumper sticker on your car. That's, that's the kind of stuff that, that you should look at and reflect on now. Now, when I was a kid, I was suffering from an identity crisis basically my whole childhood. I don't understand why I should probably talk to a therapist, but I wanted to be American. I admired the United States, possibly because I traveled there a lot to spend time with my dad. Um, and he, you know, would encourage me to, uh, to, to be patriotic towards the United States, even though I'm fully Canadian. He would send me back with American flags and, and a Texas flag, which I would proudly put on my wall in Langley, British Columbia, Canada. I would cheer for the Team USA in, in the Olympics, for example. And actually, at the gold medal hockey game, Canada versus the United States, I forget what year it was, but I was a, I was a little kid. And I had some sour looks from my family. And I mean, actually furious, not just joking around angry energy. Hockey was something uh, familiar for me away from home. And being a Canadian and spending most of my time growing up in Canada, when I spent time in the United States, it was still something American, 
because it's uh, an American hockey team, but I could latch onto it because it felt like home. I grew up and found love for Canada, which was cemented when I spent so much time around Vancouver for the 2010 Olympics. But by then, my team was the Coyotes through and through. In the 2010 and 2011 season, my friend group were diehard Vancouver Canucks fans. And I did jump on the bandwagon a little bit that year. Uh, It was fun following them. And I went to a few games and it was very electric, very exciting. And in fact, I was downtown when the Vancouver riots happened. Uh, I was certainly not riding. Okay. And And I don't just say that. Like I was trying to avoid violence and any kind of sketchy situations because it was all around us. It was people were smashing windows, flipping over cars, lighting cars on fire, fighting, fights were breaking out. Uh, Masses of people would start sprinting away from something and you didn't even know what it was. And so you would start running too, not knowing if there was a gun or pepper spray or what. It was was a disaster. And the trains, we have sky trains in Vancouver. Uh, I I believe they were even shut down at one point so that people couldn't be coming in and out or, or something. It was just a, it was pure anarchy. And I, I'm not necessarily that I hold that against the Canucks, but going through that experience opened my eyes to the fact that I'm not one of these sheep that needs to follow this hometown crowd. I didn't, I didn't have that emotion. I don't think it was Canucks fans that were rioting, but this at the same time, the city was clearly upset and, and to the point of of setting this up for some ruffigans to, to instigate this riot. And I didn't feel that. When I looked inside, I said, what do I actually feel? And it was those side eyes that I had looking towards the Coyotes all season. And, and they were looking good. So the following season, I became back to my roots as a Coyotes fan. 2011-2012 season, and this is where I'll, I'll stop kind of my, my timeline of events because I know this may be boring to some listeners, but the 2011 and 2012 season, I have such fond memories in university of just working my ass off at school. For those of you who don't know, when you're studying engineering, especially mechanical engineering, the second year is basically where they break you. And it's it's where people drop out. It's where people have to redo the year. It's just It's just awful. And I worked hard. I worked 40 hours a week of lectures, labs, etc. Plus studying on top of that, plus homework and projects. And on top of that, I was I was also a technical captain of a student-led uh, team, extracurricular team that was another 20 plus hours per week. And I was the treasurer of the mechanical engineering club. And I was at one point the vice president of this club. And the year before I was the varsity cross-country runner and so I was physically uh, damaged from from that season of running it's just it was the most exhausting and chaotic time in my life and somehow I still managed to play occasional rec basketball I had a girlfriend for a couple years around then I was pretty social in the evening basically I was living off of no sleep but occasionally when I had time to unwind I'd catch a Coyotes game at home with a microwave dinner sitting on the armrest of a beat-up recliner, and I would be dozing off from exhaustion. Sometimes I'd miss a whole period because I accidentally fell asleep. But that was kind of my level of dedication to the Coyotes, and I look back at those times fondly. That season, the LA Kings barely squeezed past the San Jose Sharks to limp into the playoffs. 
and they proceeded to steamroll every team that crossed their path. I remember watching the LA Kings versus the San Jose Sharks game. I was laying in my mom's living room on a couch before going to bed early because I was about to head to Alberta to spend a summer working in the oil rigs. And I watched that game even though I didn't care about either team because I knew how important it was for the playoffs and it was such an intense, exciting game. And and in the end, uh, LA Kings came on top. Uh, and it was, it was, I mean, they were a skilled team, but it was a little bit of luck played into that. And history was rewritten because of that game. And so when I went to Alberta, uh, northern Alberta, the middle of nowhere, sleeping in uh, small town motels and where there were no more towns, uh, we'd be staying in oil camps. And I had nothing better to do than keep up with my coyotes in their greatest season of all time. So the coyotes met the LA Kings in our first ever conference final. And we, the coyotes, put up a fight better than, I believe, all of the other teams that playoff that faced the LA Kings. But we took it to six games and ended up going down 4-2 to two in the series. And that LA Kings run was one of the most dominant playoff performances. So to lose them is respectable. And just what a season that was. So I know what you're thinking. Mike said he's going to share some lessons about fandom from some crappy hockey team can improve my collecting experience. The Coyotes became a consistent anchor throughout my life, providing familiarity away from home. And so my lesson in how to improve your collecting experience is to reflect. Reflect on what has been a constant for me. What has been my rock, my anchor? What sport, player, brand, whatever, what is it that's always been there for you? Because if you can figure that out as a collector and you lean into that, it's likely that that'll be something that you're always there for as well. Before I get into the third lesson, I am going to promise once again, I swear, I swear, I swear, I will be talking about cards. I will be talking about cards, but I need to talk just a little bit more about some of my experiences with the Arizona Coyotes to tie it into lesson number three that will help you with your collecting experience. So I had relationships with various friends and family that in some cases would revolve around sports. My dad is one example of that. And in fact, my relationship with my dad would revolve around specifically cards. And I talked a lot about that in my origin story, the very first episode of Fondling Cardboard. So go back and check that out if you haven't already. But in addition to my dad, I've got my grandparents. So my grandmother on my mom's side once took me to a Vancouver Canucks game versus the Arizona Coyotes. Or the, again, the Phoenix Coyotes at the time. And I was wearing my Coyotes jersey, getting booed, getting jeered. And my grandma, an elderly woman, wasn't much of a bodyguard. So uh, it's memorable in the sense that downtown Vancouver uh, is kind of an exciting place for a young kid to go. And, you know, to have adult men glaring or, or occasionally giving you a snide remark, it just felt a bit edgy. You know, I wasn't frightened, but it, it definitely put me on the edge of my seat and um but unfortunately the coyotes got crushed it was six nothing and you know i definitely heard 
about it from the people around me all wearing their blue Canucks jerseys. And my grandma, being the diligent person that she is, Nana decided to leave early because we need to beat the rush, we need to get going quickly so we can catch the train and avoid all the traffic and all that jazz. So with about three or four minutes left in the game, we get out of our seats, make our way up the stairs, we made our way to the SkyTrain, which is like a light rail transit in Vancouver. And as we boarded the train and found a place to sit, uh, another rider nudged me on the arm and said, Hey, at least they got one. And I said, what do you mean? And my, my nana sort of diverted my attention and, uh, and told me not to, to talk to the stranger or something like that. And so we continued on the train ride and I overheard someone say, uh, again to me, uh, oh, that was a pretty, pretty sweet goal. And I looked over at my Nana and I said, what's he talking about? And my Nana kind of looked in, looked in two different directions and looked a bit ashamed and said, well, I overheard someone say the Coyotes scored in the last minute of the game and I'm sorry. And I was... I was so upset because I just wanted to see my team score score a goal. But, you know, looking back, it's kind of a funny memory to have with my grandma. With my grandfather on my dad's side of the family, uh, he, he was a sports fan in general. Like, I'm, he definitely had some certain teams, but uh, wherever he went, he would cheer for the home team, typically. And so whenever he visited his son, my dad, in Arizona, uh, he would, you know, bring a, a coyotes jersey or he even had this nice uh, letterman uh, leather arizona coyotes jacket which i admired and i I loved that jacket Uh, when i turned 16 years old uh, my grandfather gave me that jacket and i have this photo of myself and my grandpa standing in front of uncle dave Uh, uncle dave is not my uncle That's, that's that was the name of my first truck it was a big red 1984 6.2 liter diesel GMC Sierra. Just a, a beast of a truck. I, I love it. I miss it. And yeah, I love that jacket too. And the photo has special memories to me because I have a, another picture uh, wearing my high school Letterman basketball jacket, also posing with my grandpa standing in front of that same truck. So as a card collector, you guys will know that when you can have two types of cards that are similar, that have some kind of uh, uh, commonality, and you pair them together, you'll always want to keep it. it. It adds extra value, the fact that they're paired together. And so that's how I look at those photos with my grandfather in the Letterman jacket from basketball and from my Coyotes team. Now, I also lived with my grandfather for a couple of years when I first moved to Alberta, And I kept that jacket in a closet in his house. And when my grandpa passed away, uh, one of my cousins, who's uh, quite a large age gap, so he calls me uncle, uh, and I call, you know, I treat him like my nephew, um, absolutely wonderful kid, um, was at the house with his mom, my aunt, uh, sort of sorting through things um, for the estate. And basically he said you know i love this jacket that grandpa has and you know the family said oh well you know you can claim it for yourself uh, not knowing that it was actually mine now when this came up 
you know, I needed some time to process this. I needed a few days to, to say, to, to remind myself that, you know, an heirloom like that is so important to me and has so much meaning, but I'm also very close with my cousin, nephew, and I love him. I love him to death. And he didn't get nearly as much time with our shared grandpa as I did. And he didn't get as many gifts and memories and all those sorts of things. So as important as, as it is to me, for him to identify that as something that he loved from grandpa and wanted, um, to me, it's, it's, it's incredible for him to be able to get that. And it's kind of cool because it's a gift from our grandpa and it's also a gift from me to him. And so the reason I bring this, this up is that it's not about me being generous or kind, uh, giving away a coyote's jacket. It's that these, these sports memories, these connections that we can have can carry forward, backward. They can be nostalgia towards your, your ancestors and those who you, you have loved in the past, but it can also be connections to those younger than you that you can pass down and, I mean, I can't force him to have these memories uh, and these positive experiences, but I'm sure that down the road when he has that jacket, if I'm no longer around, he'll think of me and he'll think of grandpa as well. So that brings us to lesson number three, which is all about shared moments and shared bonds. The lesson is explore those meaningful connections that you've formed throughout throughout your life and your sports fandom or Pokemon card fandom or whatever it is, those shared experiences that you have with your family and friends and leverage that in your collecting. All right, finally, the time has come that I get to talk specifically about cards and attributes of cards and the lessons I've learned from my Coyotes fandom and how you can apply that to your hobby experience. So the next thing and I'm just going to outright say this lesson. I don't have to tell a whole story like I've done with the others. If you can think about and love how the card looks and the appearance of the card is striking to you and it's something that you want to look at and touch and feel and fondle every day and, and you don't care about how much it's worth, then that is exactly the type of card that you should be chasing after. So I'm going to give a few quick examples of what I'm talking about here. As I flip through my Coyotes collection, there's some stuff that really stands out to me. I've got the Shane Doan Gold Prism, and Prisms are a very special card in hockey because it was only ever printed in one year, so it's a one-and-done set, and it was licensed. Normally, Panini would never have NHL licensing, yet this Prism year, uh, they must have worked something out with the upper deck because... It does have the team names, the team logos, the NHL uh, badge, everything. So I have a Shane Doan Gold Prism, serial numbered out of 10. This is basically the most sought after card when it comes to player collecting in basketball, football, that sort of thing. And I don't see why it could be any other different in hockey. Um, and I, I absolutely cherish this card. However, it is not necessarily the most striking card in my Coyotes collection. I might love it just as much as the others, but I also hold a uh, Shane Doan card that I purchased on eBay 
for $1 Canadian, including shipping. I don't know how the heck this was listed for $1 with free shipping because uh, it wasn't even auction. It was a buy it now because the shipping costs 92 cents in Canada if you were to buy a stamp. So I literally bought this card for eight cents off of somebody. And it is a 1990, what year was this? 1996 Shane Doan rookie quote book autograph card. Oh, Jesus. I, I'm sorry for using the Lord's name there. I, I just got a bit of a goosebump because I just realized something like 96 was the year of my first ever hockey game, the Phoenix Roadrunners, when I bought my Coyotes jersey. That is the rookie season for Shane Doan. He played in Winnipeg and then moved with the team up to Phoenix and played his entire career for the Coyotes. So this rookie autograph card uh, was from his Winnipeg Jets uh, rookie season. He very well may have been signing this card while I was at that game. That That's just an incredible thought. So as you can see, this $1 card versus this card that could be worth tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars or whatever, the it, it doesn't matter in my Coyotes collection. It matters that I love the look of the card and that I'm not thinking about how much money it's worth. I just care about if it's rare and important to me. A couple more quick examples. Uh, you all know that I'm a big Goodwin Champions Cosmic collector of golfers. Now, Cosmic was a parallel taken from Upper Deck uh, Opeachy Platinum sets because in their hockey sets, there's actually a Cosmic parallel of the base cards and uh, uh, other inserts. And uh, I'm holding currently a Clayton Keller uh, 2021 Cosmic Parallel. And beautiful, beautiful card with the space in the background. Uh, serial numbered out of 65. So it's actually serial numbered less than the Goodwin Champions Cosmic Parallels. Now, the other card I'm holding in my hand is from the same year, the exact same image. And it is called the Sunset Parallel. Now, being a Cosmic fan, I love this card. Being serial numbered out of 65, as a collector, uh, the rarity gives it a little bit of a boost for me. However, the Sunset parallel reminds me of Phoenix. It has this uh, palm tree in the background, uh, just in the corner of the card, but the rest of the card is this amazing desert sunset, like the desert sky that's gold and orange and uh, uh, red kind of fading into purpley blue with with some clouds off in the distance like it it just reminds me of the sunsets in phoenix and so i value these cards the same even though one is you know printed indefinitely the sunset there's it's not serial numbered at all and the cosmic number of 65 is much more rare but to me they're both fantastic cards now i'm going to rattle through some a lot quicker than that but I'm collecting the Opeachy Platinum Gold Seismic cards. Uh, these are serial numbered out of 50, and I love them just because they're very shiny and very gold. So I love those. They're rare and a little bit more valuable. On the flip side, you know, I, I like collecting cards from that 1997-1998 kind of time frame. And so I'm holding a Nikolai 
Kabibulblin. I can't spell his. I can't pronounce his last name. It's some kind of Russian name. Uh, but this is a pinnacle. Uh, be a player card, and just the appearance of the card is stunning. It's not a refractor, or shiny, or whatever. It's 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 different. It's got this textured look, and the the pose of the card and of the player and everything is incredible. And when you flip the card, it's funny. The background is actually upside down. So I don't know if uh, uh, Pinnacle made a mistake on their printing or whatever, but it's just a card that's worth a dollar, but that has a lot of meaning to me. I don't think of the value. I just love how it looks. Now I'm going to stop there before I ramble on about every Coyotes card that I have. But um, before I wrap up tonight, I'm going to snap a picture of some of my Coyotes collections and I'll throw that up on my at the golf card collector Instagram as well as at fondling cardboard on Instagram. All right, we've got one more to go. Here we go. Now I forgot to mention that uh, liking how the card looks as opposed to caring about how much it's worth is actually a lesson that was inspired by one of Iowa Dave's uh, six questions to ask yourself before purchasing a card. And Dave actually did an entire episode about this on his podcast, The Shallow End. So I encourage you to check it out. Now, my last lesson learned from my fandom of the Phoenix Coyotes, Arizona Coyotes, and collecting their cards is that you should look for cards that you don't plan on selling. At the end of the day, somebody has to hold the bag in this hobby. When it comes to collectibles, somebody has to physically and financially own the item. And when it comes to my Coyotes collection, that is something that my wife and my kids will have to deal with when I move on from this world. These are not cards that I'm picking up thinking... Well, that's a pretty good deal. I could, you know, probably sell that for 30% more than I bought it for. But if that's your mindset, or if that's my mindset, when I buy a card, I know at the end of the day, I don't care at all about the card. And so months from now or years from now, when I look at it, best case scenario, I'll think, well, I should probably move this now. Worst case scenario, I'll look at it with disdain because it's tied up some of my money, some of my thought process, and I'll want to throw it away, move on from it. Now, this lesson that I've learned also actually goes hand in hand with something I learned through Iowa Dave's podcasting, which is, I believe he put it this way, if I had to own this card for 20 years without selling it, would I still buy it? And that's the essence of what I'm talking about. All right, we made it through the five lessons. I will get to card of the week in just a second. But just in summary, to improve your hobby experience, embrace your unique fandom. Find a sport, player, or thing that has been a constant anchor in your life. Find something to collect that leans into your shared moments and memories and connections with those that you love. Collect cards that you love to look at rather than think about the value of them and buy cards that you would never plan on selling. Those are my five lessons from collecting the Desert Dogs. Now, I wasn't planning on pre-selecting my card of the week. I wanted to have my pile of Coyotes cards here 
fondle through them as I was recording this podcast, and I thought one of them would just stick out to me. And it did, but more than one did. I've kind of narrowed it down, because if you've listened to an earlier episode with my cousin, Michael Good, who I gave the Coyotes Letterman jacket to, I am a big fan of collecting goalies, my favorite goalie being Mike Smith. I thought I had picked out this beautiful Mike Smith card as card of the week, but for some reason, this other card really stuck out to me. And when I look at the two cards side by side, it illustrates so much of what I covered in this episode. So I've decided to make a special exception to have two cards of the week. I know only one of them can be the show artwork on the Spotify uh, episode thumbnail. Uh, For those of you who are on uh, Apple Podcasts, for example, you might just see the generic fondling cardboard logo when you play this show. But on Spotify, there's actually a unique artwork for every episode that resembles the card of the week. Um, I heard in the news that Apple is going to start including this show art feature. So maybe it's rolled out now. Maybe we've still got to wait for it. But anyways, only one of them can be the artwork of the show. But officially, we've got two cards of the week. The first is indeed that Mike Smith cards I mentioned. Now, it is a a patch autograph card, autographed with this beautiful gold pen. Uh, The patch is just sort of a white napkin patch, but I'm okay with that because it was actually a... um, Uh, enclosed game-worn material and not just some patch pulled off of a Fanatic's shelf. And it's serial numbered out of 25. 9 out of 25. So there's only 25 of this card in existence. This is a pretty rare card by all means. The other card, which is sharing the title of Card of the Week, is the goalie card from 1997... Uh, the 1996, 1997 that I mentioned. Probably the first ever goalie for the Arizona Coyotes, or at least one of the first goalies. Nikolai Kabababa, Russian name. Now, this is a pinnacle be a player insert. And actually it says stacking the pads. So the inserts that's probably called stacking the pads, be a player must be the, the property from pinnacle. And then pinnacle is just the manufacturer's name. I just love this card. It has a PMG kind of texture look to it, uh, like a Metal Universe Champions kind of look. Um, I think it's unique. The, the back of it is upside down. I think the image is striking. In fact, you know what? This $1 card, this is going to be the show art, okay? <laughs> Sitting side by side with the card that's certainly more than $1, uh, autographed with enclosed game used memorabilia from Mike Smith, only 25 of them in existence. I love that card. Side by side, the imagery of this $1 card is what really puts me over the edge. So there we go. I'm going to throw both those cards up on Instagram for you guys to check out. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. What you could do to help me out is to uh, recommend my show to a friend. Just send somebody a DM, or if you're ever talking to somebody in the hobby, say, hey, check out Fondling Cardboard. Mike has something unique going on. He has this national public radio style of show that he puts a lot of effort into it, and I think you'll like it. There you go. I wrote the script for you. Thank you for tuning in. I got lots of cool stuff in the works, including that project series that I hinted at at the beginning of the show. So until next time, I am Mike golf card collector.